friends, I'm Molly, and we are here today with our Relief from Darkness podcast crew, continuing our conversations, exploring how we can truly be set free from the stuck places in our lives. And we are defining stuck places by anything in our lives or in our thought processes that are hindering us from experiencing the fullness of God's love. So that can be anything from anxiety, depression, trauma, eating disorders, addiction, and seriously, anything in between. So for today's session, it's going to be very interesting. First off, we have our very own brain geek, Dr. Lori Basie. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. And she's especially excited for this one, and you will hear why in just a second. So in all of our podcasts with Relief from Darkness, we mentioned something called CPR. And in the first one, um, for this series, we kind of talked about like, how do we know if something's wrong? And then we went into connection and we talked about connection with God, connection with ourselves, and connection with others. And now we're going to move into the P. Yes. Which is this psychoeducation. Yes. And this is where Dr. Lori gets her title brain geek, you guys. And you will hear why. She loves the brain. She loves how it works. And y'all, she's brilliant in it. Like it's a God-given gift. So Dr. Lori, can you kind of give us the brain basics of psychoeducation? Yes, Molly Buck, this is the happiest day of my life. And in fact, I have to just tell a little bit of a funny story. We just got back from Egypt and Lebanon. And while we were traveling in our carry-on was a box about the size of a box that you would put a guinea pig in. And inside (laughs) of that box was a brain. And as we A plastic brain. Yes, yes. Not a real brain. A plastic brain. And as we went through TSA security and international security and customs, that's exactly what we had to tell them. We had to say, no, sir, you're correct that this is a brain and it looks like a brain, but it's not a real brain. It's a plastic brain. <laughs> and and so I, I'm going to try to just behave myself in this, in this issue. And actually, this is going to change your life because you guys remember that we say time and time again, over and over, I wake up in the middle of the night saying, if you change your brain, you change your life. And so this is going to be why. Now you're going to understand why. And so just bear with me as I just get really excited for a minute. And then we're going to have an encounter with Jesus in the middle part of your brain. Mm -hmm. And Molly's going to help us facilitate that. But let's just think about this, the brain. And why is the brain so exciting, you might wonder. Or if you haven't wondered, then just suck it up and be bear with me for a minute. Because going to tell you. Yes, because I'm going to tell you. So actually, the brain is just an organ. And it's actually a three-pound mass. It sits between your ears. And it's like the consistency of a soft butter. So it's not actually... The organ, it's how we shape the organ. We participate in what actually comes in through our senses and what becomes cognitively aware in our environment. Everything that we experience actually has to come through the brain. It's where your intelligence is. It's where your senses are interpreted. It's where your body movement is initiated and where your behavior is controlled or (laughs) Not controlled. Not controlled. (laughs) Exactly. And so this is the brain. So if you think about a car, so we're we're shifting gears just for an analogy, (laughs) just for a second. So think about a car. You've got the tires, but actually the steering wheel controls the cars. 
the car in the direction that the car will go. So do you know that you can literally shape your brain by the thoughts that you think? The thoughts that you think today will shape the brain that you will have tomorrow. And if you've been messed up, if you've had a bunch of trauma, if you've had sin or been sinned against, and then a series of dysfunctional choices, you've literally shaped your brain. But the good news is, and what we know with neuroscience in these last 10 years, we found more out about the brain than ever before with brain scans. And we know that you can change your brain. I was looking at a brain scan recently. Now, (laughs) I guess that does sound a little bit weird, but I'm going to just go ahead and go with it. (laughs) But I actually saw a picture of an angry brain in the brain scan and a brain that was thinking about happy thoughts. It literally makes a difference. So let's go back to just brain basics and then we'll get into this. So the brain, it's the most complex part of the human body. Every experience that we have in the world enters into our awareness through our brain. And it is actually beautiful. If we think about our brain, it makes up about 2% of our body's weight. It consumes 30% of our oxygen and 25% of our calories. So as you're learning new things, or as you're listening to these podcasts, or as you go to a seminar, or you learn to snowboard, or you learn to drive, those things could feel exhausting simply because you're using a lot more calories with your brain. Mm -hmm. Your brain is organized for survival and simplicity. And those are the things that are usually brought to your consciousness. And so we, again, know more about the brain than we've learned in the past 10 years than all of the previous centuries. So your brain is going to be fully formed and fully developed by 25 So if you know people that are under the age of 25, you can tease them and say that their brain's not fully developed. They say in adolescence, you lose about half of your mind. In actuality, in adolescence, your brain actually loses 40% of the neuron connections and reshapes and develops into the person that they're going to be becoming. And so your brain is developing the most when you enter into this world and in your early formative years. And then in adolescence. And so by 25, all three parts of your brain that I'm going to introduce you to then have developed. But during adolescence, before 25, the brain is likened to a sports car where the person has their foot on the accelerator all of the time and very rarely uses the brake that they're in in all of this excitement and this exhilaration with the hormones coming on board, the stress hormones and, and the sex hormones and all of those things are happening. And so brain development begins from the back of the brain and it works its way to the front. So I'm going to talk to you and we're going to think about three parts of our brain, the very back part of our brain, which is for survival, the middle part of our brain, which is for our imagination and the top part of our brain, which is intellect. Now, your brain's storage capacity is virtually unlimited. That our brain consists of about 86 billion neurons. And again, this is just fascinating. And I could go on and on and on. Brain information travels up to 200 and 68 miles per hour. It's actually a myth 
that you only use 10% of your brain, or at least you're supposed to. And I think Molly and I, we probably use all of it. Yeah. And so we actually use all of it. Yes, even when we're asleep, our brain is always active. And so instead of going on and on and on, I want to land us in the three parts of our brain. We have the lower part, the first that's developed, and that lower part of our brain is based on survival. The middle part of our brain, the second to develop, is our imagination. That's where our motor movements come from. That's where our sensations come from. And for later segments that we're going to elaborate a little bit more about anxiety and a particular part of our brain called the amygdala, this is actually where a lot of trauma is stored. And then finally, the top part of our brain is our intellect. And so why all of the excitement about all of this, you might ask? Well, let's put this in a spiritual context. What I want to encourage us to do is I want to encourage us to experience Jesus with all of our brain, that we don't need an intellectual head knowledge of Jesus and who he is only. We need a heart knowledge. Now, it's interesting as you read through the scriptures or in certain worship songs like, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to know you. I want to see you. Let's think about that just for a second, and then we're going to move that into the context of the brain. If we open the eyes of our heart, well, our heart doesn't have eyes. I mean, our heart just physically pumps blood. When we think about our heart, we we think about our heart in our chest, but actually our heart is the middle part of our brain. Our imagination for our, our intellect uh where they go hand in hand together and we actually experience Jesus. If we think about the scriptures about the soil, that there there's the seeds that are planted in soil and some of the soil is rocky and some of the soil has thistles or thorns or some of the, the seeds that are planted don't take place. The place that we're talking about, if we think about that in context to our physical body, it's our brain and it's in our imagination. So I want to read the scripture, Ephesians 1.18, and it's going to be out of the Passion Translation. It says, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. Now, parentheses, your middle brain flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us, his holy ones. Now, let's bring this to some practical application so you'll have something that you can uh, incorporate into your everyday activities. So what I want to encourage you with is that we are created for stories. We love stories that if you think about movies, all movies have a particular storyline. There's usually a person and that person has a problem and there's a villain that's trying to, to stop this person who needs to become their own hero and achieve great things. And, and then there's a guide who comes along and gives this person a plan. And if they do the thing that it'll end in great victory. And if they don't do the thing that'll end in sudden disaster. And so our brains are organized for stories. We want stories. We want to be in the middle of different narratives in our imagination. And we can typically go sit in a movie for 
for an hour or two hours or three hours, or we could scroll through Facebook and, and see what we want to see with the, the storyline of others. And so our brains, we actually are daydreaming about 30% of the time that we are awake. And so I want to teach you in context of the brain and, and our brain that's shaped by experience, I want to teach us then how to awaken our brain in our imagination with the gospel of Jesus so that we don't have just a head knowledge, but we also have a heart knowledge, which is actually the heart of our imagination that's in the middle part, the limbic system of our brain. And again, side note, this is where trauma is stored. And I think more than ever before, we, the body of Christ, need experiential knowledge of Jesus. And we can obtain that as we learn to study the scriptures through our imagination. And so with that, Molly Buck, do you want to just highlight anything that I've talked about with the brain at all? Or do you want me to give you a few more details? That's probably yeah. enough details. I think it's interesting because, um, so as she was talking, like the middle part of your brain, right, Dr. Lloyd, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you are imagining something, mm-hmm. the same chemicals are released, right? Yes. As if you're actually experiencing that thing. Yes. And especially with trauma. So imagine that I've been through trauma in the past and my trauma's not healed. I actually imagine that trauma and the same chemicals are produced. And it's in my brain, it's as if I was going through that trauma in the here and the now, if I haven't resolved it. Right. So just as real as that is, the living, breathing Christ wants to reveal himself in a real way. And for something, the philosophical question, the great philosophical question of what is reality? And the best thing that I can describe reality as is what makes something real. And that's when I can see it, I can taste it, I can touch it, I Mm -hmm. can feel it, meaning I can experience it. And if all of our experiences are going through our midbrain at that level to tell me something's real, then I know that I know that I know that the living Christ gave his life so that I could commune with my father right here, right now on this side of eternity. He wants us to have experiences with him. Mm -hmm. That's what makes him real to us. And he gave us his word. He gave us the Bible for that so that he could reveal himself to humanity. Yes. So I want then for us to give our listeners uh, the ability to activate the middle part of their brain with scriptures. Yeah. And especially with the gospels. I think about the gospels and, and you know, we I, again, we were just over in, in Egypt and John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, was actually the one who founded the churches in Egypt. And I love that gospel. It is so exciting. It's about and suddenly. So I think it would be really neat if all of you would pick your favorite gospel and one of your favorite gospel stories. And let's start to CPR the gospel story. So what did connection look like? How did the person connect with Jesus or how did Jesus connect? Who is Jesus? How did he connect with himself? How did he connect with others? How did he connect with 
with the Godhead? And then what did he do? What was happening in the lives of the people and in the brain and in the imagination? And let's start to then activate the middle part of our brain with our imagination, with daydreaming about what that was in our imagination. Again, that's where the senses are stored. So what did it look like? So if you close your eyes and you imagine, what did it look like? We can all do that with our favorite foods or with the the ideal thing that we want to obtain or et cetera, et cetera. But what did it look like when the, with the Bible in context of the Bible? What would it have smelled like? What did it taste like? What did it feel like on the inside? What could you hear? And let's really practice activating our imagination with Jesus so that he will open the eyes of our heart and he will illuminate himself to us. And so I know that that one of Molly's favorite stories in the Bible is a woman at the well. And so I think, Molly, I think you should unpack that and give them instructions about what you want them to do in yeah. their middle part of their brain to activate their imagination. And before we jump into anxiety and the other parts of the brain that store trauma, I think this would be a really good activity for you to do over the next several days and even weeks and months and years with the context of the Bible and Jesus. Yeah. So um, John chapter four is the woman at the well. And this particular story is my favorite story in the whole Bible because it it's the gospel. I mean, it's the gospel in one story. And this was the one that changed that changed my life. It changed the way that I viewed God and it changed the way that I interacted with him. So I'm just going to go through it and then just kind of ask some questions just for you to get you guys thinking about it. But can you just get to a place wherever you are right now where you can fully immerse yourself in this story and doing the things and in response to what whatever he's saying to you? So I'm just going to go ahead and start. Yes. So John chapter four. He says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So now he had to go through Samaria, and he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So if you could just think about this for a second. Jesus is traveling. It's hot. I mean, it says in there he's tired. So keep in mind, he's fully God, but he's fully man. And if you're telling me that my fully God has made himself experience the hot of the day, that he would leave heaven and experience this and to be tired and to sit down by the well, and it was noon (laughs) o'clock. So when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? for his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How is it that you can ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So what he's just done, you guys, what Jesus has just done is he's just broken down a barrier. He's just talked to an outcast. He's just talked to someone who who was going to get water in the middle of the day, in the hot of the day when no one else would be there so that she wouldn't have to socialize with anyone who's probably talking all kinds of things about her. 
And she's an outcast, like the outcast of all outcasts. And here he is, a man saying, will you give me a drink? And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And this part of the story, you guys, changed my life. This is when, um, if you can just think about it from this perspective, again, that he's fully God. And he says, will you give me a drink? But he didn't need anything because he's fully God. But he asked her for something, fully knowing that he was actually going to offer her everything. And there's times in our lives when Jesus will ask us to do something, but it really is to give us something back and to give us, I mean, eternal life, really. So you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So she's still not even really getting who she's talking to. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's still like in this place of like, man, living water. Like, what does that even mean? And you've got nothing to draw with. Like, where are you going to get this? Like, that's crazy. It's hot. And can we just like cut to the chase here? Like all of these things that she would be thinking in the moment. And then Jesus answered, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still thinking physically. She's still not fully getting it. She's still asking him questions. She's still not fully understanding. And I think a lot of times in our lives, We still don't fully understand, but we have to trust that God has something or that Jesus is offering us something that will have this eternal impact to spring up that well of living water inside of us for eternity. So then he tells her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. She replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. So if you can just imagine this, they're sitting there and he just breaks down everything about her. He knows her. This is this opportunity for her to be known by God. And And she's kind of like, wait, what? So then in her response, which is in my paraphrase is, wait, what? She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And then Jesus said, woman, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we Jews worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for these are the kind of worshipers the Fathers seek. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ, is coming. And when he gets here, he will explain everything to us. 
And then the best line in the whole entire story, you guys, the best line is, then Jesus says to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And if we can just look at this story up until this point, she's not getting it. And even whenever he tells her everything about her, she's still wanting more. She's still just like, the one, you're a prophet. But Jesus chose to reveal himself to her. And this is the first time that it happens when he directly just says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he, I'm the Messiah, I'm the living Christ. And who does he choose to do that with? You guys, he chose to do it to the outcast. He chose to do it to to this woman who's had five husbands. And we all know what that means, right? And this is who, this is who he wants to give the kingdom of God to. This, this is what he came for. And if we can imagine that in our own lives to ask him like, Lord, do you want to give that to me? Even I'm an outcast. I'm a sinner. I've done all of these things. And that's, that's who he wants. In this story, I mean, it's, it's the whole gospel. So then later, I mean, she would go, she would go back into the town and, and she would stop even what she's doing because whenever we meet God, it will stop us in our tracks if we will just let it. If we will let him reveal himself to us when he asks us for us asks us for something and then in return actually gives us everything, it will stop us in our tracks to drop the bucket of shame that we've been carrying around and we will go and we will do exactly what we're called to do. And that's what happens when we let our imaginations get in line with the living Christ. Because here she was at the hot noon of day carrying her bucket. You guys, it says in the scripture, she drops her bucket meaning she didn't even fill up the pail. Instead, she chose to take the living water from the one who was offering it. And she dropped her shame bucket. I think the bucket represents shame because she leaves it there and immediately goes back into the town. And she says, come here, a man who told me everything I ever did. And then you know what? The whole town comes to know Christ. And that's all she said. That's the power of a testimony. Come here, a man who told me everything I ever did. That's powerful. And it's because she was the one saying it. Suddenly, she's not so worried about who she's talking to. She's not like, oh, man, I forgot I'm supposed to be in shame because all these people are talking about me or I'm not supposed to interact with these men and women alike. I'm none of that mattered anymore. It was no longer about her. It was about who she encountered. And she drops it. She encounters them. Come here, man who told me everything I ever did. And then the whole town comes to know Christ. And then they say, when they go back, then then it says that that they knew not because she had said, but because they'd heard from themselves. And they met him. And this is this is supposed to be our response as believers. This is this is the call. This is that that he meets us in the middle of of our shame and he meets us in the middle of our everyday life when we're feeling unworthy and like sinners and like we can't socialize or connect with anyone. And then he tells us about us. And there's something about him telling us about us and then introducing himself and inserting himself into that story that changes everything about us. And if we can if we can get stories like this in our midbrain, 
in our experiences, then for me, as I'm someone who who struggled a lot, especially with um, with that very shame thing or thinking that I couldn't do things based on what people had said, and I did a lot of hiding, and I did a lot of running. And when I read this story, and he said, Molly, will you give me that? And in turn, I will give you everything. Then suddenly, I'm encouraged. <laughs> and suddenly, it's not about me anymore. It's about what he's doing on earth. And if we can start to open our minds to these stories, that these stories in the real gospel and truth, which will set you free, will be more real to you than anything else that would try to come against Because at the end of the day, you're entertaining either the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of light will set you free. Dr. Lori, is that what you were looking for? Man. And I know you guys couldn't see that, but Molly's got this story in her. And so she doesn't read it. She's got it memorized. And this has become a part of who she is. And she closes her eyes and she imagines all of these. And so if you're driving, I wouldn't recommend that you close your eyes right now. But I would recommend that you do this with something that's burning in your heart from the gospel. And if you're not really sure, if you've never experienced Jesus in that way in your intellect, you may have a head knowledge of who he is, but you have to have an experiential relational knowledge of the Christ. And he speaks to us and he He activates things inside of us and That's what our brain is meant for. Our brain is shaped by experiences. So not only are there great experiences in our lives, I think about puppies and ice cream, but there are also really hard and harsh things that happen to us as well. And we need Jesus, the experiential knowledge of Jesus, not only in our cognitive processes, but then in our sensations and how we feel and And we need him to saturate our daydreaming and our our midbrain and that 30% of the time that we're involved in stories and in imagination, we need him to be right in the middle with that. And we can partner with Jesus in the way that he created our brain so that we can heal our brain from the hard and the harsh things that trauma or sin has done. And then we renew and we transform our mind daily. And so this process that we're going to be talking about these next several podcasts about other areas of our brain, this is one of the most complex yet simple, mysterious yet beautiful processes that it occurs as we partner with the creator of the universe. And that is what you've just heard and what I've witnessed that Molly has done. So you guys, this is, um, I mean, this is everything. And this really is the truth setting you free. And I know it. I was stuck. Listen, you all, I was stuck in my brain for a really, really long time. I was stuck in my own thoughts. I was um, to the point of mental health diagnoses, I mean. And I was experiencing traumas over and over in my head with the same amount of chemicals and stuff being released. And when I locked eyes with Jesus and he said, look at this and experience this instead, you guys, it gave me my life. 
It gave me purpose and it gave me my life back. It gave me the original design of what God intended whenever he created me and chose me from my mother's womb. And that's what we're created for. That should be more natural than anything. So I just want to encourage you to just to just experience him and ask him and ask him to show you things in the gospels and to really take a second to let yourself be immersed in it and and to close your eyes and to imagine what what was the woman at the well what was she what was she feeling if it was hot what was it like to be hot and to really let your mind engage in that because that opens it up and when you suddenly have the brain space to think about and experience the things of God the things of the world suddenly don't really matter all that much. And then, I mean, we all want to know why we're here and what we're created to do. And you get that from reading the Bible and from experiencing the Bible, which is experiencing Jesus. So I just want to encourage you with that to just take a second, to take a second and do this activity in whatever way that looks like for you. Because if you change your brain, then you change your life. And this will change your brain. I'm, I can't say it enough, and I've probably overset it a thousand times, and we'll wrap up, but it's very important. So, And this is why being a brain geek is actually not so bad. Right. <laughs> and this really, you guys heard her, this is what gets her all wound up is talking about anything brain-related. But it's for good reason, because she's seen it over and over again of people experiencing God at a mid-brain level and coming to know real life. Yes. And that's everything. So thank you guys for listening. And until next time. Thank you guys so much for listening to our Relief from Darkness podcast. If you would like more information or are looking for more resources to help overcome the topics we've discussed here, please visit the No Boundaries International website at www.nbint.org, where we have a free e-course titled Journey of Restoration. And be sure to please leave us any comments or reviews as this will help get our content out to more listeners. We're praying for you guys and we will see you next time.